Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. My name is Cody Zeiderveen, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to study the Word of the Lord with you this morning. I'm going to build my message around this week's gospel tool as we continue our year of discipleship together. So let's begin with reading and listening to this text from Gospel Tool number 21. The resurrection seals the gift of new and restored relationship and role. Rising from the dead, Jesus inaugurates a new creation where sin and death no longer reign. He is the first fruits of this new creation. His resurrection is a promise of ours to come. As our descent into and rising out of the waters of baptism signify, our old self has truly died with Jesus and a new life in Christ has begun. We are a new creation. Let's pray together as we prepare for the reading of God's Word. Lord God, we do pray that you, by your Spirit, meet us in this place, wherever this place is here this morning, as we come to your Word. God, we pray that your word would prove to be again in us alive and active, bringing new life to us as we study it and read it and learn from it. So God, speak this morning, we pray. Help us to understand, help us to be transformed uh, through your word and by your spirit. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles nearby this morning, go ahead and pull them out and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 28. And as you do, just a little bit of a fair warning ahead of this morning's message. Uh, we've got a fair bit of ground to cover together this morning. And so we're going to be diving deep and we're going to be going far. So I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we go. Uh, and if it would be helpful to you to have a pen and paper in hand, uh, feel free to grab that out uh, as we prepare for the reading of the Lord's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning the reading in verse 20 through verse 28. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first to have died and come back to glorified life, never to die again. He is in this way, Paul says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits in this text and elsewhere in the New Testament refers to the, the, the first collection of grain at the beginning of the harvest season. It was a celebration that the ancient Israelites practiced together. The people of Israel would collect this small portion of the harvest and they would wave it joyfully before the Lord as a thank offering. What an amazing image that presents to us this morning. It often doesn't strike us as that incredible because we live in a world of grocery stores, preservatives, and frozen foods. But that was not the case in ancient Israel. They would have been eagerly awaiting the harvest as last year's crops slowly run out. And when they arrive... When that harvest arrives, rather than consuming hungrily, they sacrifice joyfully. They give it to the Lord thankfully. The celebration of the first fruits would be like one of us with meager savings facing unemployment. I suspect that has been a reality for some of us during these COVID times. The celebration of the first fruits would be like the moment we finally find work after several months of watching our bank account slowly decline. If we practiced the celebration of the first fruits, when we received our first paycheck after the first two weeks of working, rather than buying several things off of our growing wish list, we would sign it over to the church, joyfully waving it before the Lord in celebration during the time of testimony in our upcoming renewed gatherings at Gold Avenue Church. And what a beautiful day it would be. And this is what I love about the celebration of the first fruits. It borrows joy from the days to come. The harvest is just coming in as the hunger comes in with it. But rather than filling their own stomachs, meeting their own impending needs, beginning to refill their own stockpiles, they turn to God and joyfully hand it back. Not because they don't need it. No, no, no. They they do. They absolutely need it. But they decide to hand it back in joyful celebration because they know that the first fruits are just the beginning. They are the tip of the iceberg. They are the promise of the abundant harvest yet to come. So when Paul sets out in this passage to describe Christ's resurrection as the first fruits, he's saying, look about you, give thanks and rejoice for Christ's resurrection is yes, the first, but it is also the promise of your new life yet to come. The first fruits point to the harvest, and so we rejoice just like the Israelites did at the celebration of the first fruits because we know he who brought forth the first fruits is faithful to bring forth the rest of the harvest. And not only that, but theologically our own resurrection, according to Paul, is part of the same resurrection event just as the first fruits are part of the same harvest. In other words, in Christ's new life, we too find new life, not as a separate event, but as part of the same miraculous, life-giving moment that happened on Easter morning. And in that way, 
Christ is not only placed in the timeline as the first to be raised from the dead, but in so doing, he represents the rest of us who are subject to death. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Those who are in Adam, First Corinthians is saying, humanity, us, inherit, as one scholar points out, what Adam brought about for his people, sin and death. This is the common inheritance of humanity. Conversely, those who are in Christ will inherit what he brought about for his people, life. Verse 23 tells us that this life belongs to all those who belong to Christ. And he is the first fruits, not of the old creation, that which is in Adam, but the first fruits of a new creation, a creation in which those who are in Christ are dead to sin, that which belongs to Adam, and made alive to God. So if you still have your Bibles open before you, go ahead and slip a bookmark into 1 Corinthians 15, because we're going to be coming back to that later, and turn with me to Romans 6, where we're going to be beginning in verse 1. So again, if you have your Bibles open, leave either your finger there or a bookmark there in 1 Corinthians 15 and go ahead and, and turn over uh, to Romans chapter 6, where we're going to read uh, the first 14 verses of that chapter, Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Paul writes, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too may uh, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. This is the word of the Lord.
Do you see how Paul shifts the idea of Christ Jesus as the first fruits of a new creation away from just a physical future reality? Though it's certainly that. There is coming a day when all will be made new and right. That is the new creation. But Paul shifts away from just that and points us towards spiritually where the new creation has already begun in Jesus' death and our shared identity with his death and resurrection and baptism. So we in Christ have died, which means the old life we once lived has come to its inherited end in Adam, which is death. Now spiritually, the life left for us is the life inherited in Christ, which is exactly that, life. In the old practice of baptism in the ancient church, a new believer followed this 10-step process. After days of fasting, cleansing, and repenting, the day of baptism would come, and the believer would take off his or her clothes, their old clothes, the clothes in which they arrived, which represented who they were. They would step into the pool and be immersed after the three statements of belief in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When they came back out of the baptismal pool, rather than putting on their old clothes, they were given a new white robe to wear. Not because their old clothes were dirty or needed to be thrown out, but to symbolize something that really is new and different about them. You see, through baptism, we die to an old way of life and become new people with new identities. We truly are sons and daughters of God. We take on our new identities in the inheritance that is found as the people who are in Christ, as one who is robed in a white robe. These are the ones that 1 Corinthians 15 was talking about. These are the ones who belong to Christ. We have died to sin and death, the inheritance earned for us in Adam, and we have been raised to life through the inheritance earned for us in Christ. And so you can't live in both. Just as death is opposite of life and mutually exclusive, so too is one who both lives in Adam and in Christ. The two are opposed to each other, though they both share a legitimate claim on your life. The difference is that Christ has paid all that is owed in Adam. And so all that is left for us is that which we find in Christ. And in this, the new creation in which we live in part as those who have died to sin and been made alive to God in Christ, we find ourselves with an irrefutable resurrection hope. And it's with that resurrection hope in mind that we turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you marked that, go back uh, to 1 Corinthians 15 where we will pick up the text in verse 50, where we read, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory." Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord, and praise the Lord for it. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have one who has died and been raised and clothed with life, who goes before us as the firstfruits. And as he does, just as the firstfruit is part of the harvest, so too we are caught into new life through our baptism from death to life in the coming of the new creation. And when we come into this new life, we have now been clothed with the imperishable, and the immortal. In other words, we have hope that is secure, and that hope is that life wins. Death was temporary. We are now clothed in the eternal. Death was the cloak of our mortality. Christ is the cloak of our immortality. In Christ... Your life is no longer defined by your own flesh and blood. In Christ, you have already been clothed by the imperishable. In Christ, you have already been clothed by immortality. In Christ, death has been swallowed up, your death. And it has been clothed in victory. It has been clothed in life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. I love how Paul draws again from the Old Testament. Just as the imagery of the first fruits helps us understand our role and relation to Christ in his redemption, in his resurrection, so too the idea of being clothed in Christ and in all that he has earned for us shapes the way we understand our role and relation to Christ in this, his new creation. Because by being in Christ, by putting on who he is to us and what he has earned for us, we receive the same treatment and favor that Jesus Christ receives. You see, Paul often uses Old Testament imagery to explain his New Testament theology. And I think he is doing the same here in his discussion about putting on Christ. Clothes played a huge role in Israelite society. Consider, for example, how in Deuteronomy 24, the widow's cloak is forbidden from being taken in a pledge. Because, as a number of scholars have pointed out, the cloak would have 
would be that of her deceased husband, and it would carry or represent all the rights the widow had through her previous marriage. The right to land, and to money, and to property. If she gave up her garment, she lost everything that belonged to the one who had worn it. Having the robe gave someone the same authority as the one who had worn the robe before. Or consider the act of Prince Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18, verse 4. As David prepares to depart and flee from King Saul, Jonathan takes off his cloak and places it on David's shoulders. Was David just cold? Did he just need a new coat? Was his old one worn out? No! Jonathan is recognizing that the right to the throne, as represented by his royal robe, belonged to David. He's saying, you, David, are the rightful king of Israel. This royal robe belongs to you. My birthright, my status, my inheritance rightfully belongs to you. The records that we still have from the Hittites, a near neighbor to the Israelite people, tell us in their laws that if a mother removes her son's garment, she is disinheriting her son. But if the son later returns, humble and repentant, the mother will then place the cloak back on him and reinstate him as a true son with all the rights that sonship entails. The privilege in that society of being a son, came and went with the robe that he wore. This sounds just like the parable of the prodigal son in which a rebellious and misbehaving son is brought back into the fullness of sonship, including being clothed in the best robe. When he returns to the father, no wonder, no wonder the older son was so upset. That robe belonged to him. The inheritance was his. Why is the younger son, the misbehaving son, the wayward son, the wasteful son, the irresponsible son wearing the best robe? Why did he have it on? And if you friends are asked that question this morning, you know the answer. He's wearing the robe and we're wearing the robe because of Christ. We are in Christ. And so all that he has earned for us, his life, his resurrection, his glory, all that he wears, we wear in Christ as one puts on a robe and in so doing inherits the same authority as the one who had worn it before. You see Gold Avenue Church in our baptism. We are no longer in Adam and the sin and death that he earned for us. If this morning you belong to Christ, you are clothed in him and all that he has earned for you. And he, as that first fruit, shows us what exactly that looks like. It looks like a sure resurrection a new dominion, a new creation, a new life. Amen. Let's pray together.
Lord God, we do pray that as we move from death to life in Christ, that we too would hold firmly to this hope that we have. That we too would hold firmly to Christ. That it would be true in our life and in the lives of our family that death has been swallowed up in victory. That it no longer has a sting to us. That the power of sin no longer has a hold in our life. God, may it be so. Because we know, God, that we have victory in Jesus Christ this morning. So God, we pray in this week that you would strengthen us, that there would be nothing, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that would move us, and that we would always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So God, help us in this week to hold firmly to the inheritance that we have in Christ, to hold firmly to life. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your work on the cross, for your resurrection. And Holy Spirit, we pray for your equipping power to enable us to live as part of that new creation. God, we love you so, so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.